The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this, the seventh day of May in the year 2023. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us as always right across the way. Very happy to welcome you aboard tonight. So glad you could be with us as usual. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Leading off, we will speak with a member of that great Oakland A's dynasty that won three World Series in a row. Darrell Knowles will join us. And next after Darrell, we'll welcome in the great offensive lineman and pro football Hall of Fame er from the New England Patriots. I'm so used to saying Boston Patriots, I almost said that. New England Patriots, John Hanna will be with us. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy this edition of Sports Talk New York tonight on GBB. As always, great show, great people, great sports memories up ahead tonight. Social media, as always, I'd like to start out inviting you to check out our Facebook page. It's cleverly titled WGBB Sports Talk New York. There you'll find so much information it will overwhelm you. Stop by, give us a look, and give us a like. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, and we're on Twitter at WGB Sports Talk. You can also follow me on Twitter at B Donahue WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't you worry, because they're all out on the website the next day, cataloged for you to listen to them at your leisure. Well, our first guest... He played in the major leagues from 65 through 1980, most notably as a member of the Oakland A's dynasty that won three consecutive World Series championships between 72 and 74. In the 73 World Series, we certainly remember that when Knowles became the first pitcher to appear in all seven games of a World Series. I'd like to welcome in tonight, Darrell Knowles. Daryl, good evening. Hey, how are you? Ah, we're doing great. We're doing great up here, and I hope you're doing the same, Daryl. Before I forget, I want to... I was just going to say, it's kind of a sad day for me today. Yeah, I I understand that. We're going to get to to that. But before I forget, I want to extend greetings to you uh, from a couple of guys I had contact with this week. Of course, the Garretts. Wayne and his lovely oh. wife, Connie, uh, want to <laughs> yeah. say hello to you, and also Raleigh Fingers, one of your uh, one oh. of your old teammates. He, he's uh, having some back surgery this week, and uh, he wants to extend his greetings to you as well. And well, thank uh, you. I just want to extend our condolences uh, to you, Daryl. As we said, a little sad tonight uh, for the loss of your teammate, of course, the great Vita Blue. That, yes, it was. Uh, I was sad when I heard it today. And, right. And uh, I, I uh, I've been kind of down all day about it because I just saw him not too long ago. We had the reunion out in Oakland, and right. And uh, he yep. he looked a little frail, but I didn't think he was about to die. But uh, unfortunately, I guess things happened. Maybe he was worse than we thought. But uh, that's a sad day. But uh, you know what? He was a great man. He was a great friend. Uh, he. He treated everybody great. Uh, it, 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 it's just a great loss. Sorry. Just uh, knowing, Daryl, we could t- take uh, solace in the fact not many people will match or have matched that wonderful season he had uh, where he won the Most Valuable Play Award and the Cy Young Award in the same season. I mean, uh, he, he was just so dominant that year. You know what? That was 1971. That's when I mm-hmm. first got traded over to uh, to Oakland, and uh, uh, I I, uh, I, <laughs> I uh, actually I was kind of sad when I got traded. I was with the Washington Senators, and I was the the closer. The the I was the guy that came out of the bullpen. We didn't win many games, and when we had a lead, I was the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got traded to Oakland. And I thought 
they got this guy with this mustache out there that's going to probably take my job. And, and obviously he did. I mean, he was the horse. I just kind of complimented him, but, uh, you know, I did, I wasn't there, but a couple of weeks I realized this, this club's got a chance to really be good because there were so many great players on it. And, and, uh, we actually won the division that year and, and then they lost the playoffs to Baltimore, but then 72, three and four, we, we went all the way. So it was, it was a great run, a great run. I loved it. Uh-huh. Loved all the guys. I wanted to invite Vita back on the show. I had him on once before. He, he and I share the same birthday. And uh, I uh, w- wanted to have him back. Uh, just goes to show you, Daryl, that uh, every day is a gift and, and should be unwrapped yes. just like that. Uh, you never know. You know, my wife tells me that very thing. She, yeah. When we were in Oakland a couple of weeks ago for the reunion, uh, we had dinner that night, the big dinner afterwards and and raleigh or uh, raleigh uh vita was sitting at another table but he had met my wife you know numerous times and she looked at him and he actually kind of blew her a kiss or something and said hi and she went over and hugged him and talked to him and uh she had more tears in her eyes today uh than, than i did and i had some trust me but uh, uh she remembers that and she actually felt like he probably knew he didn't have much time, and it was trying to say goodbye. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be sad and mess your program up here, but that's fine. But it's been with me all day. I understand that, Daryl. Understand it, and we will all remember the great Vita yes. Blue. That that is for sure. Yes. Now, I, I want to ask you. Uh, sure. I was going to call you Vita there for a second, Daryl. No. Um, Pitching for the Washington Senators, that's where I was going. You were uh, a great workhorse relief pitcher there in Washington, and you were managed by Gil Hodges. Uh, Tell us uh, how you got along with Gil and how he was as as a skipper uh, for the Senators. Well, you know what, Uh, Gil, uh, when I first went over there in 1967, I got traded over there. Gil was the manager, and and I actually – uh, kind of wanted to be a starter. And I remember I, I expressed that desire and Gil took me aside. I remember out in the outfield and we sat down on one knee and he said, you're not going to be a starter. You're going to be my closer. Mm-hmm. He said, this is what I think you're the best dad. And I said, okay. He said, but you got a chance to pitch every day. I said, all right, let's go for it. And that we did. And I can honestly tell you, Gil was a perfect, perfect guy for pitchers we had we actually had five guys in the bullpen that year that pitched in 50 games and nobody got tired so he knew what he was doing he knew how to handle them uh, i mean some pitched more than 50 but but uh uh that was i mean he just he handled that bullpen so so very well and and uh, he was very very knowledgeable he was probably yeah i know he went to the mets and won a world series but but he was a much better manager than anybody ever gave him credit for. So yeah. God bless Gil Hodges. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. He's one of my favorites, Daryl. And uh, oh, yeah. when, when he finally got into the Hall of Fame, oh, what a sigh of relief from, oh. from many of us here in New York because uh, Gil was the man. <laughs> Gil was the man. And, and Joe Pignatano was was his, one of his guys as well. Right, another and, uh, Brooklyn Dodger, yeah. Oh, exactly, yeah. Piggy. Yeah, it was yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, now you, you also were uh, a reserve uh, tactical fighter <laughs> in the U.S. Yeah. Air Force 113 tactical fighter wing uh, during that time. Well, <laughs> that's kind of a funny story. It's, it's a long, I don't know how much time we got, but, but when I got traded to Washington, uh, the prior year, I was I had gone into the Air Force Reserves, and you know, to so I wouldn't get drafted as everybody did back in those days if you had the opportunity. And I got in the Air Force Reserves, did my time, my six months, all this stuff. Uh, got traded to the Senators, and they transferred me to the Air National Guard right outside uh, D.C. in the 113th Tac Fighter Wing, and I was there about three months, and then we got activated, and I got. I mean, I was on active duty for the next year and a half. Uh, wound up spending a year in Japan. Wow. Uh, took me out of the baseball season, but luckily I came out the, uh, half the season and then the winter and came back the next year. So it was, 
you know what? It, 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 it was an experience. I, I, I loved, I, I loved the fact that I was in the major leagues. And I, at the time, I was the only, uh, professional, I think, major league professional athletes that got activated or got called up. Uh, but I love my time in the military. I, I will not, I'll never take it back. I cherish those days. Uh, the, I, 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 I have no regrets. Uh, I came back though and then joined the, the senators the next year. And actually I went on, had a great year. I think I made the all-star team that year. So, mm-hmm. so everything turned out well. It was just, I, I did my time. I loved it. Uh, every, God bless America. One of those things. Gotcha. We're speaking with the great Daryl Knowles tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, we said you left the Senators. You come over to the Oakland A's, and here are some great yeah. names. Here are some, some names from the old baseball cards, folks. Gets uh, gets traded to Oakland with Mike Epstein for Frank Fernandez, Paul Lindblad, and Don Mincher. There's some guys with, with some stellar careers. And uh, right. the 73 the series... Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to ask you first, uh, Daryl, I've spoken to a couple of your teammates and uh, gotten their impression about Charles O. Finley. Can you let us know what, what, what your impressions of the great Charlie Finley were? Well, you know what? I, I don't I, – I didn't agree with a lot of things Charlie O. Finley did. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't agree with the way he handled us, but I – think not enough credit is given to Charles O. Finley. If you look at it and and look at the club that he put together, the drafts that he did uh, when he was doing it all on his own, he wound up, I mean, you got to think, he might have been a hell of a lot smarter than everybody thought he was, but uh, he didn't handle people the way they wanted to be handled, and I think that's the, that's the bad rap on him. But baseball-wise, it seemed like even though he didn't want to spend any money, uh, I can't fault him for that, but, uh, we, we, every contract year we argued with him, everybody did, and, and, uh, you know, he, he, he was, he was his own man, he did it his way, and when I look back at it, and I think back, and it's a long time ago, but daggone it, he did a pretty good job, he had a pretty good ball club out there. He certainly did, and he will go down, Daryl, as uh, certainly one of the most colorful characters in baseball uh, d- during his lifetime. And, uh, of course, the 73 team was under the tutelage of Charlie O. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of your teammates that I've spoken to uh, in the past have remarked that the New York Mets were kind of the toughest opposition for, for the Oakland A's that year in their run to the World Series. What do you think about that? Well, I, you know, it was kind of funny because I think going in, of course, we were, we were trying to win our, our thing to, to get to the World Series, which we did. And I, I think everybody thought Cincinnati from the year before was the better club, but, but the Mets came in and just, just wiped them out and, and, and you could not put the Mets lightly. They had some great players on that team, some great hitters, and obviously some great pitchers with Seaver and Madlack and, and Kuzman. And then I think McGraw was in the bullpen. I mean, they, they were really, really a good ball club. Uh, probably, probably we underestimated them a little bit at the beginning. And once we got in there though, we, you know, we won the first game, lost the second. And then we lost two out of three in New York. And all of a sudden it was like, we've got to go back to Oakland and we got to win both games. I don't think anybody felt that we couldn't do that because we all felt that we could. Uh, and it was just a matter of let's go home. All right, let's get this stuff over with because we knew we were overall, we knew we were a better club. Right. And I think that's what won out in the end. Yes, I agree with you, Daryl. And of course, making the last out in that World Series was our friend Wayne Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Red, Red Ed, because he's, you know, they, they call him Red, but he's, he lives in Sarasota. I live in, in, in the Clearwater area, Tarpon Springs. Uh, he's, he's a very good friend of mine. Every time I see him, I kind of uh, just accidentally remind him, oh yeah, you're the guy I got the last out. <laughs> So, but but we're good friends. We're good friends. It was all one of those things. And and you know what? He could have hit the ball out of the ballpark just as easily. I made a decent pitch on him, and and he popped it up. And and uh, and obviously the uh, rest is history. And 
uh, there are people say to me, uh, sometimes, what did, why didn't Yogi pinch hit for him? Well, they didn't pinch in for him because he played every day, all year. You know, against right. right-handers, left-handers, he he didn't care who was pitching, and he didn't care that I was left-handed. Just I happened to make a good pitch. That's all. A lot of people wonder why Yogi did a lot of things during that World Series, Daryl. <laughs> I mean, there's still controversy to this day about Yogi's pitching moves during that series, but that's a story for another day. But we'll we'll let that, that, is, that one go. That is. Now, yeah, now you, you, you did appear in every game. Uh, Dick Williams uh, had you in every, every game. Uh, how'd you feel about that? You know what? I, the, the, if you'll, I'm sure you probably talked about this, but in 72, I had broken my thumb the last week of the season mm-hmm. and wasn't eligible for the World Series and, and, uh, against, against the uh, Reds. Um, so and I, was, I was really heartbroken about that, obviously, because everybody dreams of, Pitching in the world, playing, pitching in the World Series. And then 73, we win it again. And all I was thinking about when this series started, I want to get in at least one game. I want to say I pitched in the World Series. Right. And it happened in the first game. I happened to get the save in the first game. And I hate, I hate to bring this up, but I think Garrett was by last, the last out in that first game. But, uh, I don't know. At least I think I got him out, but I, I wouldn't have been in there, but he was left handed. And after that, I was elated. I, I I had achieved what I dreamed about from my childhood years. And then the next game I got in, and the next game I got in, all of a sudden we go to the uh, seventh game. And I didn't know until that morning that no one had ever pitched in all seven games. Uh, it came out in the paper that morning. And, uh, and I, you know what? And to be honest with you, I didn't really care. I just was happy. I'd been in the World Series. Uh, we had a chance to win it. And if, if not for Gene Tennis accidentally booting a ball with two out in the ninth, I wouldn't have gotten in the game. But every time I see Gino, I thank him about that, too. There was also an incident during that series with Mike Andrews. I, remember, I recall that, Darrell, and uh, Charlie O had a little to do with that, uh, taking Mike Andrews off off the roster. And you guys uh, certainly helped make his mind up the other way, didn't you? Well, well, it, it was an unfortunate incident. Uh, Mike happened to make a couple of errors in, I think, the 14th inning, and uh, uh, we wound up not scoring or something and, and they had, they scored and, and they wound up with the game and, and after the game we were getting ready to go back to New York for the next three games and and everybody was on the bus except for for Mike and we wouldn't let the bus leave until we found out what was going on and then Dick Williams finally got on the bus and he told him that Charlie is trying to uh uh, release Mike Andrews in the middle of a World Series in the oh, stadium with, I think it was Manny Trio. And make a long story short, the next day he said, let's just go to New York. We'll figure it out. And we worked out the next day. And, and, uh, uh, we, <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, we all kind of put on black armbands and just made out of tape or something on our sleeves and, 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 and memory of uh, Mike Andrews and, Obviously, the rest is history. I mean, uh, Bowie Coon, I think, reinstated Mike, and he came back and, and actually pinch hit in the game that night and got a standing ovation twice. Right, yeah. So, that, yeah. That's a great so, story. Yeah, it was, it was a great story, and we were all in, in Mike's, I mean, we, we, we were all in Mike's corner, so it was, it was good. Great was teammates. Good. Yeah, that's for sure, yeah. Daryl. Now, now, in, in uh, I, I I think it was the year after uh, Dick Williams left. Alvin Dark takes over. You had a little yeah. difficulty with Alvin, didn't you? Well, I <laughs> that's funny. How did you get all this stuff? That's good for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I dig, I dig, Daryl. <laughs> yeah, you dig, you dig. Yeah. Well, uh, Alvin, Alvin, as great a baseball man as Alvin was, and I give him his due credit. He was a great baseball man for a lot of years, and and and, and at the major league level. But I just, for some reason, Alvin and I didn't see eye to eye. And mm-hmm. it all boiled back to years ago, uh, I, when he was managing Cleveland, and this is my story. So, I mean, what, and I'm sorry, Alvin's not around and he can 
contradicted, so this is the way it is, okay? Right. But, uh, where, uh, Alvin was the manager in Cleveland, and they had a some situation there, and I knocked a guy down. I think it was Craig Nettles. I, I flipped Craig Nettles because the guy had hit a home run off of me, and they had a history of, I think they said they were stealing signs. I thought, well, it's, I, if they are, I will, I'm going to try to take care of this. So at any rate, two weeks later, Cleveland comes to Washington, and I happen to be hitting. That's when pitchers still hit. And Steve Mangori was the pitcher. I'll never forget it. He stuck one in my ribs. Oh, boy. And I, I mean, because he was kind of like me. He didn't throw that hard, so it didn't really hurt that much. But it was there, and I knew the minute he did it, because there was nobody on. I think two out, all of a sudden, boom, he drills me. And I just looked at Alvin. Okay, that was that. And then a few years later, Alvin is going to manage Oakland, and I had my confrontation with Alvin. I, I just this started the, the season. I said, I remember you, and he said, Yeah, I remember you. And I said, Yeah, you're really the guy that had the ball stuck in my ribs, and right. and and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, Yeah, well, I do. Well, from that day <laughs> on, uh, we we I even though I mean he pissed me. I hell, I had started a couple games for him that year, and and uh, but I just I didn't have the greatest year. And I don't know whether it was because of my thoughts. Uh, I don't know, but I didn't really pitch that well for Alvin, so I can't put all the blame on him. Maybe I wasn't, I wasn't as good as I should have been. And uh, I love being there, and we won again. But uh, we got to the World Series, and then we beat the Dodgers in, I think, five games. So right. it was a moot point. And, I'd, and I've seen Alvin, or I, I saw Alvin, had some deals after that that we were always friends. So good, good. I, well, everything turned out okay, Daryl. Yeah, with yeah, you, absolutely, just, absolutely. I, just I'm one of those things. Here. Yeah, no, yeah. you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Okay. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the time you got sent to the Cubs, and here, here's some more great names: <laughs> uh, Daryl, Bob Locker, and man, the great Manny Trio that we mentioned dealt yeah. to the Cubs. For Billy Williams, now you may not remember Billy Williams as an Oakland Athletic, oh. but he he was. Oh, I do. Yeah, th- there's one of those deals that like Orlando Cepeda was a Boston Red Sox. It, you don't see pictures like that, yeah. but they happen, folks. And you you inherited the closer role in Chicago, Daryl. I did, I did, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I went over there and uh, <laughs> kind of a funny story. At the end of the year of '74, I. Was, we were on a plane and, and Charlie was on the, Charlie Fillin was on the plane and I went to Charlie and I said, Charlie, look, I know you're going to trade me. And he said, I'm not going to trade you. And I said, no, Charlie, look, I've been around long enough to know I was going to be 10 and 5, which means they, if they did not traded me, then I could have vetoed any trade. You know, that's part of the deal. Right. And, uh, he thought, we're not going to trade you. Well, the season, Finally ended, and within five days, I was traded to the Chicago Cubs. So uh, I did go over there, and I, I loved my time with Chicago. What a great city, great ballpark. Uh, that's before they had lights and everything. But uh, I remember Don Kessinger saying to me, you're going to be more exhausted at the end of this year than you've ever been. And he was right. <laughs> it, 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 the, the day games constantly wear on you. And, uh, and now they have lights, and it's it's still a great great city and a great ballpark i loved my time there but uh, i didn't i i was the closer uh i didn't have a great year that year but i came back the following year and did have a pretty good year so you know i was just you know what i was a journeyman left-hander uh loved what i did uh loved pitching and i wish i was doing it today I hear you. I hear you, Daryl. Now, I just want to mention that uh, about the Cubs playing the day games. Uh, yeah. in, in 1969, when the, the Mets won the World Series and they overtook the Chicago Cubs, a lot of people right. blame the uh, Leo DeRocher for playing his same nine uh, every day, and it wore those guys out, Santo and Banks and, and Billy Williams and uh, Randy Hundley, guys like that. Played oh, every yeah. every That's day, a yeah. And uh, Glenn Beckard, it, it it wore the guys out, and a lot of people blame Leo DeRocher for that. Uh, and uh, it's funny, Don Kessinger brought that up to you. Well, it's, it's very possible because uh, it really it really takes a toll on you. I didn't think it would, but every day, it's not necessarily 
the day games. The games are fine, but it's like you don't get any sleep. I mean, you go home, yeah. you got to get up at 6 o'clock every day, you know, and, and uh, get to the ballpark. you got to play batting practice. you got to do all this stuff. I loved it. I love Chicago, and I love Wrigley Field, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was a tough, that was a tough road, but now, now they have no excuse. Right. Yeah. Now, now they got the lights in there. It's a different exactly. road to hoe. That's for sure. Now you went to Montreal. You reunited with uh, the great Hall of Famer Dick Williams. Uh, how'd yeah. you make out in Montreal? I did very, very well. I had a good year. I, I, uh, uh, went up there and I, I probably wouldn't have been there except for Dick. Dick, Dick always liked me. Uh, I always pitched well for him and went up there and I had a very good year. Uh, but I wasn't a big fan of the, the Canadian lifestyle. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah. I had okay. a couple, couple small kids at the time and I played out my option and, uh, they offered, I had turned down a big raise. Uh, but I said, no, I want to, I'm going to have my option, be a free agent, which I was. And, uh, I wound up with the Cardinals the next year. So, which is kind of, I grew up in Missouri. It's always where I wanted to be. And, uh, but you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. I, I probably, I was done. I mean, I knew I was done. That slider wasn't quite as sharp, but that sinker didn't sink as fast. But I knew I was kind of headed down the road, but hell, I was 39 years old. So I think I just kind of wore out. I hear you. Yeah. Time, time to go. Uh, what, yeah. keep, what keeps you busy down in, uh, the sponge city in, uh, Tarpon Springs <laughs> these days? Tarpon Springs, Florida. You know what? It's a very quiet, uh, subdued little neighborhood. We live out, out here close to the water. We're not on the water, but we're close to the water. Right. And you go downtown, you got the sponge docks. There's a, there's a couple of great restaurants around here. Uh, what keeps me busy? I had back surgery in February, so I, right. I haven't really yeah. been doing a lot. Uh, but I'll tell you what I have done. I, I, I've watched a hell of a lot of Netflix, and I don't mean to brag about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, TV's a lot different than it was back in the 60s and 70s, oh, yeah, Darrell. Yeah, yeah there, there, there's uh, some good choices out there. I, I understand that. Now, I want to ask you one more before we go. Sure. Every, everybody's Everybody's got a song uh, these days. They come up, they got a song. They come in to warm up, they got a song. If you had to pick a song to be your warm-up song, what would it be? Well, I'm a big George Strait fan. And, okay. And and I, I, that, uh, I, I, if I had my guitar, I'd play it for you. But I'm the uh, troubadour, you know, the, the old troubadour song. Nice. And I, I, I loved it, and I love George Strait. And the last uh, ten years when I worked in Dunedin uh, for the Blue Jays at the minor league level, right? That was my walkout song. Was ah, the troubadours. Nice. Okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, Daryl Knowles, it's been a pleasure. I thank you for taking well, time out of your Sunday night to spend it with uh, here up uh, the, us up here in New York. I wish you all the best. Say hi to your lovely wife, Lynn, and uh, thanks for coming aboard. Uh, you're the best. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hello to everybody, and say a prayer for Vita Blue. Will do. The great Vita Blue, folks. That'll do it. Right. The, the great Daryl knows, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we will welcome in Pro Football Hall of Famer John Hanna. Stick around, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show.
We are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB. I just want to let you folks know, tomorrow, May 8th, it's the anniversary of the defeat of the mighty Los Angeles Lakers by the New York Knicks. That was 53 years ago. It was really a night of uh, immortal, indelible memories. Both teams warming up. When out of the garden runway appears the specter of the captain himself, Willis Reed, Struck down uh, with with that injury two games before. Willis comes back in Game 7. The Lakers uh, really could not believe their eyes. It's almost like they knew they were beaten. Willis hits his first two jumpers. He left the game, but the inspiration he provided was not to be uh, mistaken, folks. The Knicks rolled. Walt Clyde Frazier had the game of his life, and the Knicks were world champions. That was 53 years ago tomorrow, May 8th. Well, right now, this gentleman played guard on the offensive line of the New England Patriots. He's considered one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time. He received nine Pro Bowl and seven first-team All-Pro selections, inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1991 and the College Football Hall of Fame in 1999. The same year as the former, he became the inaugural inductee of the New England Patriots Hall of Fame. I'd like to welcome tonight to Sports Talk New York, John Hanna. John, good evening. Hey, how are you doing? Doing wonderful, John. I want to ask you right right away, you're the son of an NFL player. Yes, I am. Matter of fact, the first year of my life uh, I spent in Queens. Dad played with the Giants. Uh-huh. So I don't remember that. But that's what I was told. Okay. Yeah. Now, now you grew up in Alabama. Uh, a kid in Alabama, who do you root for? Who are your teams and who are your sports heroes when you're a kid? Well, we didn't, you know, we didn't really watch a lot of pro ball when I was growing up. Right. It was all Alabama. So, you know, Alabama was uh, my favorite team. And, you know, when Dad I grew up the first part of my uh, young life, uh, I grew up in Georgia, so Georgia was kind of a favorite team mm-hmm. a little bit. They were, but they were always behind Alabama. Sure. But uh, Alabama was my number one team, and Georgia was behind them. In, in high school, uh, you wrestled, and you you uh, were on the track team, and your coach Luke Warsham, uh, he was really uh, an inspiration in your life, wasn't he? No question about it. Uh, you know, where I went to school was, uh, called Baylor. And at the time, it was an all boys school, military. And, uh, the reason I got there is when Dad was in, went into World War II, uh, there were a couple of boys that, uh, taught Dad how to use the slide rule and did some things like that. And what's funny, Dad became a pilot, and those two, uh, bailed out. They, they didn't make it to be pilots, but they were navigators. So dad always said, you know, he was always impressed with how much those boys knew and how smart they were. And he said, if I ever have a boy, he says, I want to do everything I possibly can to send them to Baylor. Mm-hmm. So he sent me to Baylor. And, uh, it was a dorm school. And so, uh, Major Worsham, in actual in actuality became my proxy father. He was kinda of like my dad. Yeah. Uh he he did a great job with you, that's for sure. We're speaking with the great Hall of Famer John Hanna tonight on the program. Now your college career at Alabama, of course you you, you played under the immortal coach Bear Bryant. Uh tell us a little bit about Bear Bryant. Uh the the quickest and shortest way to explain <laughs> was uh my high school coach when I went back to Albertville my senior year, I had played for Coach Bryant and was an all American defensive tackle in sixty six. And uh Richard Cole basically I asked him what it was gonna be like and he looked at me and says, Well John, he says, I wouldn't take a million dollars for the experience, but you couldn't give me a million dollars to go through it again. Oh man. So that's about the the, that, that sums it up in a nutshell right there. It, it was, uh, he taught you, I guess the, the, the biggest thing he taught you was that you can go further than you ever thought you could go. And, uh, he, he, he made you, 
understand work ethic and, and what it took to to win, you know. Well, you you must have took took a lot away from that, uh, John, because uh, he later said that you were the greatest lineman he ever coached. Well, he may have said that publicly, but uh, when uh, my senior year, you know, I'd gotten a lot of letters and uh, from guys and stuff like that. And so we were fixing to go to uh, uh, the Cotton Bowl, mm-hmm. and uh, we had gone home for uh, Christmas, you know, celebrate Christmas, and then we were going to report back to camp and fly out to Texas. So Dad said, you know, why don't you just go to Coach Bryant and just get a meeting set up and uh, for after it's over and find out since they might want to find an attorney. So so I'm going into the meeting room. Coach Bryant comes out of his office, and I kind of quietly said, well, Coach Bryant, I said, I don't want to meet now, but when we get back from the Cotton Bowl, would you mind setting up a meeting with me? said, well, what's it about? And I said, well, it looks like I may get drafted. And if I do, I was hoping you might help me find somebody that could represent me that would be doing their job. Mm-hmm. He looked at me and says, these are his exact words. I don't know if you can use them on the radio. But he said, shit, John, you ain't good enough to need no damn lawyer. So oh, that's man. That's what he told me. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, harsh words, John. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Well, you you got oh, yeah. you you got drafted. So Co- Coach Bryant was wrong in that respect. You were the fourth overall pick in '73. You go to New England. How did you feel about uh, spending your career in New England? Well, I it, it, it's all like probably anybody that went in the NFL. It was a mixed bag. Um, I love my teammates. Um, I loved most of the coaches that I had, especially through 78. Um, you know, I had great offensive line coaches, Red Miller, and, um, um, Jim Ringo. Um, and then I had some really terrible coaches. Uh, I had, I thought Chuck Fairbanks was the best head coach I ever played under. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, he was a gifted head coach and, we had ownership that basically was more interested in winning, you know, making money than winning Super Bowls. And, uh, they were, um, somewhat devious in their tactics. And, uh, you know, they traded people when we got ready to, you know, really bloom as a team, they would start cutting payroll and, uh, wouldn't try to keep the team intact to go to the Super Bowl. So yeah, that was kind of frustrating. Uh, but, you know, I got to play with great teammates, you know, Steve Nelson, uh, Leon Gray, Leon Gray, uh, Steve Grogan. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of great players that I, that I really enjoyed being with and being around, but, and they gave it everything they had and, you know, just a great group of guys. And, uh, you know, so it's, it was a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Understood. Understood, John. Now, talk a little bit about Leon Gray. You two formed what was, uh, really considered the best guard tackle tandem in the NFL in that period. And, uh, you had Russ Francis at, at tight end, uh, one right. of the strongest left side trios in the league. Now, how do you feel about, uh, Leon Gray being ignored by the, Pro Football Hall of Fame all this time. It's, it's a shame. Yeah. Leon was as good an offensive tackle as ever was. And, uh, you know, he not only did he, you know, we enjoyed, you know, basically, you know, it was Gene Upshaw and Art Shell for years, and then Leon and I came on the scene. And, mm-hmm. you know, what most people don't realize is, you know, they don't think of it, but if you can... Uh, you know, Russ really didn't come to the left side that much. Uh, we were a weak side running attack. You know, most of the yards we got on the left side wasn't with the tight end. And there it was either slant 19 or slant 15, which was a weak side kind of a dive play. Uh, 
where I could either go out on the back or head up, or I'd loop around Leon to get to him. But, um, you know, it was a week, and what most people don't realize, you know, left side is usually where they put their pass rushes, right? right? So if you get some guys that are fairly good pass blockers, but are really good run, run, run guys, you know, you can make a lot of hay in the NFL attacking the weak side with the run. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were able to do. And, uh, it was, uh, from 70, probably 76, 77 on, you know, Leon, Leon and I kind of, we've got a lot of recognition and it was a lot of fun. I think we accomplished a lot of good things and I sure was kind of upset when they traded Leon away. Yeah. The great Leon Gray. We're speaking that's, tonight. That was, that, that was a cut in payroll. Yeah. <laughs> Right, that's the, yeah. the, they didn't care about winning a championship. They were just a cut in payroll. We're speaking with John Hanna, the great New England Patriot Hall of Famer tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, John, you missed only five games out of, uh, I believe, 191 that you played uh, due to injuries. To what do you attribute uh, the, the longevity there and, and the, the way you, you kept out of uh, missing games due to injury? I was too scared to, I was afraid that if somebody else got to play my position, they'd take my job. Yeah, right. (laughs) And that's the truth. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I wanted to be on the field. And, uh, you know, I didn't want somebody else to steal my job and show that they were, you know, you know, equal to me. And uh, not only that, but, you know, you were obligated to your team and, Back in those days, it was a red badge of courage to play hurt. You know, mm-hmm. that was part of the game. And if you could play injured, you were kind of, a, you know, it was like a, you're a tough guy. And, you know, it was a respected, you know, it's not, not like it is today. No, you're exactly right. Now, your first Super Bowl appearance, uh, appearance, of course, was Super Bowl twenty against the Chicago Bears, who who uh, were legendary that year. Uh, the Bears, now, Buddy Ryan's defense uh, terrorized Tony Eason uh, early and often in that game. Is the best thing I can say, John. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the Super Bowl that year. I believe you have some strong words for Tony Eason too. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to get into that. No, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, you know, um, I, the, the, the offensive coordinator decided to go with Tony. Had it been up to the rest of the t- offensive unit, Steve Grogan would have started that game. Let's just suffice it at that. Yeah. Understood. And, uh, the, uh as you say, the the uh, n- not such a great effort, but uh, you would you would tell teammates if they weren't given a hundred percent, wouldn't you? You weren't afraid to to stand up and let somebody know if they weren't weren't pulling their weight. Well, yeah, I was a big mouth, uh, <laughs> but uh, if if a guy was loafing, I would say something. And not only that, but I would expect my teammates if I was loafing to get onto me, right? You know, I, I learned a huge lesson from Raymond Berry. You know, Raymond Berry said when you, at one time he looked at me and he says, I want you to grade yourself this week. And he says, but I don't want you to grade it whether you win the battle or you don't win the battle of a guy. But he says, what I want you to, or whether you get the job done or don't get the job done. What I want you to do is I want you to grade yourself based on the fact that from the time the ball is snapped, until the whistle it blows, are you giving it a hundred percent? And I took him up on his challenge, and I did. So he called me in his office and said, "Well, what'd you do?" I said, "Coach, I I only graded seventy four percent." I said, "I said, because what would happen is they run a play away on the other side, and I'd go downfield, but it would be that seven eighths." You know what I mean? Yeah. Not not a hundred percent. Not digging it. And uh, and let me tell you, when I was through with that game, I was wore out. I mean, I was really wore <laughs> out because it was a conscious effort on my part to give a hundred percent of the play. 
but I had to be honest with myself too, you know, when it went to the right and I was, you know, just basically blocking her, I'd go downfield or let's say they threw a pass downfield. You know, there's no way I'm going to catch Stanley Morgan, right? So no. I'd go down there, but still it's a seven, eight speed. And so anyway, the coach looked at me and said, well, John, how do you know if Stanley did, he cut back and all of a sudden a guy hit him and popped the ball loose. You might have been the guy that covered the fumble that won us the game. He said, the problem is, he says, in most, at that time in the NFL, only, you know, he said five or six plays in a game determines who wins. That's all. Trouble is, you never know when those plays occur. Right. Yeah. And I said, you know, I thought to myself, he's right. So I looked out there, well, Raymond, I said, what, did you ever do this with yourself? He said, yeah. I said, well, how did you grade out? He said the highest I got was seventy eight percent. Wow! And you know it, it's, it, and that's what you know. Uh, that's what you. That was the thing. I mean, basically, if I'm giving, if I'm giving everything I've got mentally and physically, uh, the results will come. I, I, you know, the question is, is you know. Am I thinking about the game, and am I physically giving the effort to do the game? And that was what I tried to focus on more than anything else. And that was from a great, another great Hall of Famer, Raymond Berry. Right, right, yeah. That, that that's a tremendous story, John. That is right there. Now, there's some of the honors uh, that that you've uh, accumulated: 75th anniversary All-Time Team, uh, the number one guard selected to the NFL's. 100th anniversary all-time team. First first Patriots player inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. Uh, first right. player uh, inducted into the New England Patriots Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, tremendous honors, John. Yeah, I was unfortunate. Yeah. And uh, your brothers also played football, which is uh, a, a wonderful thing. Well, yeah, Charlie played six years with Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny story with Charlie, you know. Charlie was holding out in 77 uh, for more money. He left Tampa and wanted to stay there. And uh, Leon and I were up for contract, and we wanted to get traded because we'd gone to the Pro Bowl. And, you know, at that time, you couldn't tell other players what you made, but uh, I think Gene Upshaw came up with the idea we'd each write our salary on a piece of paper and fold it up and throw it in a hat and we'd all looking we would nobody would know whose salary it was but we knew what the salary you know what people getting paid yeah so it comes up and it says 105 100,000 95,000 88,000 30,000 28,000 so I get back to my room in uh, San Diego where we were at and uh, I get the phone rings, and Leon's on the phone. He says, Hog. I said, yeah, big dog. He says, which one were you? Yeah, I said, I was, I was 30. Which one were you? He said, I was 28 pounds. <laughs> I said, we got to do something. So anyway, he and I are trying to get going. Well, long story longer, uh, I'm at home in Alabama, and uh, – we're all, the whole family's going to meet at Catfish Cabin and eat some hush puppies and catfish and get together. So we're waiting and waiting and Charlie doesn't show up and he's about an hour late. Finally he shows up and he's all mad dog, sad and everything else. Uh, and Charlie, I said, where are you going? What's wrong with you? He says, I got traded. I said, well, where are you going? He says, I'm going to the Raiders. The Raiders, said, yeah. Yeah, gum, you stole my job. <laughs> and the Raiders were trying to get me. So, lo and behold, no, this was, was the 38, remember in 83. But anyway, Charlie says, uh, he goes out to the Raiders. Charlie had been number 76 for Tampa Bay. They changed his number to 73, which was my number. Right. They moved him from right offensive tackle to left guard. He starts, they go to the Super Bowl, 
and New Orleans, and he wins the darn Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, my my brother Charlie stole my job and won the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, Charlie Charlie did a good job there. That's for sure. Yeah. One guy, guy I want to ask you about, uh, John. Who's who's uh, going to the Hall of Fame this year? A guy we've been waiting for to get into Canton for a long time, Joe Klecko. I don't know what t- what took him so long to get there. Uh, did you have a chance to play against Joe? Several times, and uh, he deserves being in the Hall of Fame, uh, and should have been there a long time ago. No question about it. Uh, Joe was a heck of a player, and uh, I tell you, he gave me fits at times. But it is a, he, he was just strong, had great leverage, uh, good quickness. He just he he you know he, he was short legged, which meant he could get down low and get under you. And if he ever lifted you up, man, he'd take you right back in the quarterback's lap. Yeah. Uh, he was he was stout, and he and he like. You know, there are, there are a lot of players who take a vacation every now and then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Joe never took, Joe never took a vacation. No. He, he just, he just never took a vacation. Came to play and every day. Yep. I, I, I respect him very much. Well, uh, John Hanna, it's been a real pleasure. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us, uh, here in New York. And uh, we wish you all the best, and uh, keep farming. Well, gonna look after those cattle. That's it. Get, y'all need to come down here and get one of them, and find out what real beef tastes like. Yeah, that's y'all true. Y'all that bought stuff from overseas. Y'all never taste really good all-American beef raised on local farm. No, you're right, John. Yeah, you're exactly right. We got to do that. Well, I thank you again, John. You and the family take care. All the best to you. Thank you a lot. That's John Hanna, folks. That'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Daryl Knowles and John Hanna, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. See you next on Sunday night, June 4th. Till then. Be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. This is WGBB AM 1240 and W240 DF FM 95.9 Freeport, New York.